before our guest with us, thanks so much for being here this morning. If I didn't get a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. This is the second week of spring break, so we've still got some folks gone, but at least we don't have time change too. So hopefully all of us um, got the appropriate amount of sleep last night, and so I don't have to work super hard to keep you up um, uh, during the message this morning, though, my goal is always for about 30 minutes to make sure that you stay engaged with what we're talking about. If you are a guest with us, we would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is to have you text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. It's the number there on the screen, or it's on the sticker on the seat back um, in front of you. We just want to find out who we are, who you are, and how we might be able to serve you and your family. We're super excited that you are here, and we want to see your faith come alive. We're finishing our series on the life of Abraham this morning, talking about the life of faith. And ultimately, what we want to see in the lives of everybody who's a part of the table is that our faith does guide everything that we do um, in life. And so, got a, um, as we finish up this morning, hopefully a, a good challenge to bring um, this morning. Uh, for those of you that remember this, um, we are in the middle of a staff transition. If you're new, um, our student pastor, Wayne, is transitioning off our staff, and this Wednesday, um, is actually his last Wednesday with us, and so our students are planning a big kind of send-off for him. Um, and I just wanted to let you know, too, we are in the process of looking for a replacement, so I just ask that you be praying um, for us and for guidance and wisdom as we um, look for that next person to, to fill that role. So um, we have interviewed a couple of people, so I just wanted to provide you with that little update this morning. So again, just um, be praying for us. Um, in that. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, um, you know, as we've sung this morning, we recognize that you are good. Um, as Kelly mentioned that this morning, um, may that be something that we carry with us in spite of whatever circumstances we go through in this life. May we learn to trust in you more. And Father, I pray that as we spend some time in your word today, that you would, um, that you would be our teacher. You promised us your Holy Spirit who would guide us into all truth and convict us uh, uh, of things in our lives that need to change. And so I pray that that would take place today um, as we finish up this series where we've been talking about faith. May we understand what it means to live by faith even just a little bit more today. Um, so, Father, just continue to meet with us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. He came to see me because his marriage was in trouble. There was talk of divorce, and he really didn't know what to do. And so we talked for a few minutes about uh, just the particulars of his situation and all that was going on. And there were definitely some things that needed to be worked through. Um, there were definitely some issues. And so uh, I recommended counseling. Um, but then I said this. I, I said, you know, as you think about um, what is going to be happening over the next few weeks and few months. I said, here's what I think you need to do. I, I think you need to seek to love your wife unconditionally, regardless of how you feel like she's treating you, and then seek to be the best dad that you could possibly be to your kids. And so we talked about that for a couple of minutes. And then he said this. He said, but what if it doesn't work? And I didn't do this. I hope that the way that I actually reacted to this didn't give away how I truly felt. But on the inside, I sort of just slumped over in my chair, put my head down on the desk in front of me. 
I don't necessarily think that this was a conscious thought in this man's mind at the time, but yet somewhere deep down inside was the thought, well, I only want to do the things that are necessary to do to heal my marriage if I get the benefits that I think I ought to get from doing these things. Because his question was, what if it doesn't work? And unfortunately, I think that a lot of Christians fall into the trap of only seeking to follow after God for the benefits that they perceive they will receive from that relationship. The reality is you don't have to go very far to hear all the benefits that you're going to get. right? If you do what God wants you to do, if you're obedient to do what God wants you to do, then here's the life that God promises to give you. It's often referred to as the blessed life. And so when we hear that, oftentimes what we think the blessed life is, is a life that's relatively free from problems, and typically we understand that there are monetary benefits to it. Like All you have to do is follow after God, and He will bless your life. And if you're not living the blessed life, then you are doing something wrong, and you need to change something so that you get those benefits. And the proof found in Hebrews 11. I refer to this chapter a lot because I do think in this chapter we can really get a misguided understanding of what the life of faith is all about. Hebrews 11 is a Hall of Faith chapter where we read about our faith superheroes. They're not actually superheroes. They're faith heroes, though. The people that we read about, like Noah, who built the ark. Moses, who rescued the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and of course, Abraham, who we've been talking about in this series. And so we read their stories, and we read about the things that they did, and so we think to ourselves, well, if I just have faith, I can do things like they did, and I will get what they got, which is a life filled with blessing. And again, we are thinking in our minds, life that's relatively free from problems, and typically, there is a financial blessing component with it. you got to read the entire chapter. Because after reading about these great things that our faith superheroes did, that's when we read about the real heroes. The ones who aren't named. Who Hebrews 11 describes as living by faith and getting nothing in return except for suffering and death. They live by faith and receive, from our perspective, no benefits from that relationship. What if there are no benefits? What if your life doesn't get easier? What if it only gets exponentially harder? What if it doesn't work? Is God himself enough for you? By this point in Abraham's life, he had to have been thinking that the, the roller coaster of his life was headed back to the start house really soon. Because how much more could a guy go through? The ups and downs, the twists and the turns. But yet at the same time, there was still one question left unanswered in Abraham's life. And that question was simply, is God enough? 
And that's the question that I want to challenge us all with as we think about our own lives. Is God enough for us? I want to jump in and, and begin looking at the text that we're looking at this morning. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. I'll read here in just a second, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, or you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. But this is the passage that talks about Abraham offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And it's, it's a little bit of a longer section, but I think it's important to get the entire uh, context of this event. So starting Genesis 22, starting in verse 1, After these things, God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son, Isaac. He split the wood for a burnt offering, and he set out to the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, my father, and he replied, here I am, son. And Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he replied, here I am. Then he said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning when God first told Abraham to leave his father's household. He told him to leave his household, to go to the land that God would show him. And God said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a great blessing to all people. And so from the very beginning, God promised that Abraham would have land and he would be blessed and that he would have a seed or a son. And so for years, Abraham wondered how this was going to take place. He had the land. He was living in the land. He recognized the blessing of God, but yet he didn't have a son. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage when God showed up again to reiterate 
that original promise. There are many ups and downs, twists and turns, but there God met Abraham again, and he said, Abraham, I'm, you're going to have all of these things. And Abraham said to God, God, I get it, I'm in the land. Now, there are still people here, so there's some issues that we've got to work out there. And I recognize the blessing, but what good is this because I don't have a son? And that's when God took Abraham out at night to look up at the stars in the sky. And, and, and God told Abraham to try and count the stars because that would be the number of his descendants. And God promised that his son would come from his own body. But yet, like any of us would do, Abraham began to wonder how this was actually going to come about. Like, what was it that God actually wanted him to do? And so after many, many years of trying, it became clear that Sarah was not able to have children. And so maybe it was through a surrogate. That's the way that God would fulfill the promise to Abraham. And so Sarah offered her servant, Hagar, to have a son. And, and she conceived and gave birth to a son, and his name was Ishmael. It happened when Abraham was 86 years old. And for the next 13 years, God said nothing. Remember we talked about this early in the series, sometimes with our faith superheroes, we get that idea that God shows up all the time and tells them exactly what to do. That was not the case in Abraham's life. God showed up to Abraham, and it was about 13 years later that God reiterated the promise to Abraham. He has Ishmael, and then it was about 13 years later that finally God showed up again. God told Abraham, hey, Ishmael, he's not the son of promise that Sarah was, in fact, going to conceive, and she was going to give birth to a son, and that son would be the son of promise. When Abraham heard that, he laughed. When Sarah heard about it, she laughed too. She was 90 years old. I mean, this was impossible, but yet what seemed to be impossible was possible with God, and she did conceive and gave birth to her son, Isaac. There was still more drama within the family. There was uh, drama and conflict between Sarah and Hagar. And so one day Sarah goes to Abraham and says, hey, you've got to get rid of them. And this broke Abraham's heart because Ishmael was, in fact, Abraham's son too. And so he didn't know what to do, but God told Abraham, hey, it's going to be okay. I'll take care of Ishmael and he will become a great nation as well. And so at this point in the story, you have to believe that things are going to from here be smooth sailing. Abraham's in the land. He recognizes God's blessing. Now he's got the son of promise. Now we just sit back and watch God work and life is easy. And then God showed up again. And at this point, you have to wonder when God showed up again, did Abraham think, oh, great, it's the Lord? Or did he think, oh, no, it's the Lord. Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering in the region of Moriah on the mountain that I will show you. And it's at this point in the story we've got to stop and, and, and begin to question, what in the world is God doing? Because there's no way that God is actually going to 
tell Abraham to do something as evil as offer his son as a sacrifice. Because if God is willing to do something like that, he's asking somebody to do something like that, then maybe this God is not somebody that I want to have anything to do with. And honestly, those are real feelings that we probably really ought to have. Because there is nothing more evil than killing your own child. So something has to be happening. Now, there's a couple of things that we've got to understand. First, this was a test of Abraham. This is the first thing we read, that God, after these things, God tested Abraham. So we recognize some things that Abraham doesn't necessarily know. And so we know that this is a test. We may not know exactly what God is up to, but yet at the same time, there's no way that God is actually asking Abraham, he's going to let Abraham go through with this process of killing his son. It was a test. The other thing that is really important to understand is that this event was not written down for Abraham. He lived through this event, but this event was actually written down for the people of Israel. See, it was Moses who wrote the book of Genesis. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. During the time of the period of the wilderness wandering, after Moses had gone to rescue the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so these books were written so that the people would know God and know how to live. So in the law that the people had, in addition to these stories of the patriarchs, they also had the law. And in the law, it was very, very clear that child sacrifice was an evil thing that was never to be done. And so the people of Israel would have known that. And so when they read this event, they weren't thinking, wow, I wonder why God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. They are saying, I wonder what God is up to, because there's no way that God would ever allow Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. And so as we begin to read through this, we have to say, okay, what's the point of this? And I don't think the point is, are we willing to offer our children as a sacrifice to God if he asks us to do that? Something bigger is happening. So this was a test for Abraham. I think it was a test that was one that left him scratching his head. He didn't understand what was happening. Now, while to us, child sacrifice is maybe the most evil thing that anyone could ever do, the truth was in Abraham's day, there in the land of Canaan, child sacrifice wasn't something that was all that uncommon because the gods could demand a child sacrifice if they saw to it. But yet at the same time, this is, doesn't make any sense to Abraham because this is the son of promise. And so if there is no son, there is no promise, but yet at the same time, Abraham is trusting that God knows more than Abraham does, and so he is willing to do what God has said that he should do. The journey took three days. Can you imagine what those three days were like for Abraham? God's going to do something, right? God's got a plan in this, right? 
God has to do something, right? And then finally, they reached the place where the sacrifice was to be done. I find it interesting to see what Abraham says to his servants. He tells them, stay here and we will go worship and we will come back. The idea of worship recognizes that whatever was going to take place, though maybe Abraham in his mind didn't understand all that was going to happen, he recognized that what was going to happen was to be done for the purpose of honoring God. Then he said, we will come back. The author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God was going to raise his son from the dead. It was Isaac who took the wood for the sacrifice. Abraham took the fire, more likely hot coals to be able to start a fire in a a jar or something. And he had the knife. The fact that Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice gives us some idea of Isaac's age. We're not exactly sure what it, how old he was at the time, but because he's able to carry this large amount of wood that would uh, take care of the animal sacrifice, at the very least, he's a teenager. As they're walking to the place where the sacrifice was going to be made, Isaac turned and said, Dad, I've got the wood. You've got the fire. But where's the lamb? I will tell you, as a dad, done. Opposite direction. I don't care what God said. I'm not doing it anymore. Abraham said, Son, God himself will provide a lamb. So they built the altar together. And I can't imagine what was going through their minds as Isaac climbed on top. Remember, right, he's old enough to fight back, but there's no evidence that he does. In fact, Jewish legend tells us that Isaac tied himself down to the altar. And Abraham took the knife, prepared to do the unthinkable. And God showed up with him. Abraham, don't touch your son. Don't harm your son. Because now I know that you truly fear me. And there off to the side in the thicket was a ram. A ram who would be a substitute for the son. Now remember, this is a test for Abraham. And so the question is, what's the test? I think the test was whether or not God was enough for Abraham. Because Abraham's relationship with God had a lot to do with blessing. God said, if you do this, here is what you're going to get out of it. And the question in God's mind was, am I enough? What if there is no blessing 
What if there is no promise? Because if the son of promise is gone, then maybe he still had the blessing. He still had the land, but where was the blessing and the land going to go to? It was all for naught. And so the question that God wanted to answer in Abraham's life is, am I enough? We read, the angel of the Lord said, now I know that you fear God. The idea there is not, I know that you're afraid of God, but that you fear God. The idea of worshipful submission. The idea that I now know that you've put God first in your life. It was God saying, Abraham, I now know that I am enough for you. So what if there is no benefit? What if there is no blessing? What if life doesn't get any easier and God doesn't solve all of our problems? What if it doesn't work? Is God himself enough for us? Well, he should be. He should be because of who he is and what he has already done. God should be enough simply because of who he is. Abraham learned something about God that day. And in Abraham's world, it was a a polytheistic world. So everything that happened was associated with a God in some way. I mean, there were gods for everything. There were gods who brought rain, gods who brought harvest, gods who allow you to have children, all of these different things. And so something happens in this event. And Abraham learns something about the God that he serves. He learned a little bit more about who God is. Because in the world of Abraham's day, with this polytheistic worldview, the the gods were really kind of broken into two broad categories. Gods of the big picture stuff, like gravity, laws of nature, all of those kinds of things. And then there's the God of the day-to-day, the God who brings the harvest, the God who lets you have children, those kinds of things. And Abraham had known that God was a God of the big picture. When God took Abraham out at night and showed him the stars in the sky, he recognized that this God was the God who held the universe in place. But now he learned something new. When he saw the lamb caught in the thicket, the ram caught in the thicket as a sacrifice for his son, he named this place God will provide. Really, more literally, it's the God who sees to it. So Abraham learned not only that God was the God of the big picture, but that God was the God who sees to it. He is a God of the details. Is he enough for you. He ought to be just because of who he is. He is the God who created the universe, is is bigger than anything that we could ever comprehend. He spoke the universe into existence, but yet at the same time, he is the God who sees to it. He's the God of the details. And there may be times in our lives where we don't understand what's happening. We don't understand what we are going through or why God allows certain things. But yet at the same time, we have to believe that the God who sees to it knows what he's doing. Is God enough for you? 
It should be because of who he is and because of what he's already done. And what he's already done has redeemed our lives through the death of his one and only son. Because of who God is, he's always demanded the first and demanded the best. In what we refer to as the Old Testament law, we read about these different sacrifices and these different offerings, and it was always the first and the best. When an an animal had to be offered, it was the firstborn of the flock without blemish. When the first fruits offering had to be offered, it was the first and the best from the crops. And in addition to that, in the Old Testament law, God also demanded the firstborn son of every family. But in the Old Testament law, there was a provision for that son. That son could be redeemed through an animal sacrifice. And that practice happened in every Jewish family for all time. Even through the time of Jesus, he himself was redeemed by his parents, Mary and Joseph, through an animal sacrifice. But it all stopped with Jesus. Because of the death of God's one and only son, we can all be redeemed. Galatians 4, 5 says, God sent his son, born of a woman, to redeem us so that we would receive adoption as sons. We could even understand as sons and daughters. And the idea of adoption, what that means is that because of the work of Jesus for us, we become children of promise. Isaac was the son of of promise, Jesus, the Son of promise. And because of the work of Jesus, we can become sons and daughters of promise, redeemed and bought back through the death of His Son. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Redeemed the death of the son now the question for us is like what do we do with all of this as we recognize all that god has done for us and who god is you know the only thing that makes sense is to offer ourselves in complete submission back to the one who gave everything to us and that's what romans 12 talks about that we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that we don't have to die, but that we surrender ourselves completely to the guidance of God, to the will of God in our lives, recognizing that even though we may not understand that he knows what he's doing. What if there are no benefits? What if there is no blessing? What if it doesn't work? Is God enough? Is just knowing him enough? He should be. As we finish this morning, I'm going to have the band come back up. We're going to do something that, I don't know, it's a little bit unusual for us to do, I, I, I think. And But what I want us to do for the next couple of minutes is really just to meditate on the things that we've talked about throughout this series. We've talked a lot about the life of faith and what that looks like, the ups and downs of the life of faith. And 
We recognize that in the midst of living a life of faith, sometimes there are challenges that we face and we're not always going to get it right. And so thankfully, God's grace and forgiveness is right there for us. But yet at the same time, God calls us forward. And maybe as we've talked over the last, I think this series is seven weeks long. Maybe there's something that God has been doing in your life. Maybe there's this step that God wants you to take. And I just want you to think about what it is that God might have for you. Maybe it's some of what we talked about this morning. Where, like really in the back of your mind, your faith, your obedience to God has been conditioned on what you get out of it. And maybe for the first time there's a recognition that Because of who he is and because of what he's already done, that's enough. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to take that first step to cross that line of faith and say yes to Jesus because you recognize for the very first time that he laid down his life to redeem you so that you could be set free. So if you would, just bow your heads. Close your eyes, and I just want you to to meditate this. So when Cody's playing through the song, if God is dealing with you in your life, I want you to just respond to him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts today. As we think about what the life of faith looks like, we, as we've seen it in Abraham's life, it's, it's filled with ups and downs. There are moments of faith, moments of failure, but you're always faithful. grace is always there to rescue us from the messes that we make. When we're unable to keep our side of the bargain, you told us, I'll do my part and I'll do your part. And all you have to do is trust in me. Father, I do pray that you would be enough for us. Because of who you are, because of what you've done, 
even if there is not one more benefit Even if it doesn't work, pray, Father, that you would help us to surrender ourselves completely to you. Father, though we may not understand everything that's happening, may we trust that you are the God who sees to it, the God of the details. I pray today if there's somebody who hasn't yet taken that step across the line of faith, God, that you would do the work of your spirit, continue to draw them to yourself so that they would say yes to you. Father, if you're calling us to take that next step of faith, whatever it would look like, I pray that we would know what that is and have the courage to trust in you more. In light of all that you've done for us, may we offer ourselves completely, fully back to you. Surrendered fully. Regardless of Thank you so much for redeeming us through the death of your one and only son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.